the Wapen to go to Nyack College. I'm on a board of trustees for the college and the seminary. And I fell head over heels in love with a blue-eyed bombshell 43 years ago this fall. And we're excited to be there. And she's always wanted to stay for homecoming weekend. So it's hard to believe that I'm going to celebrate my 40th year graduating from college. 40 years. Good night. That's a biblical generation. I'm old as dirt. But we're going to be there, and so we thought it'd be fun to stay there for the weekend and the whole weekend. So Jim's going to preach uh, next Sunday morning. We love you. I uh, couldn't thank you enough for the privilege of being your pastor and your friends. And God has blessed us in amazing ways, so we're excited about what the future holds. I encourage you to take your sermon notes out this morning. As we walk together through our continuing series in Old Testament characters, we're going to be in Nehemiah this morning, Probably one of my favorite. Now, I say that about a lot, but there are a lot of Old Testament characters that are my favorite. Nehemiah is one of them for a number of reasons. I have a number of questions that I ask you this morning, and I do that on probably every occasion I gather together because I want to set up what it is that I'm about to say, and I want you to hear it, but I want you to connect or relate in some way or the other. When, when you look at some of the questions that you have in your sermon notes this morning and listen to some of the other ones that I ask, I got to believe for most of us in the room, it will hit you at one point or the other. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you're trying to do the right thing and it just didn't go well. You try to do the right thing and you find yourself criticized anyways. Or at work, when you're trying to live out your values, you say you're a believer, people know you're a believer. Even if they don't know, you really want to take a stand for Christ. You want to live out your values. You want to make sure that you know who you are, who God is in you, and live that out on a regular basis. Only when you try to do that, you find yourself ridiculed, sometimes even put down. Or at school, when you try to defend your faith or take a stand for Christ... Not only are you made fun of in some cases, but you're put down by a lot of people every once in a while, even a teacher in college, who makes you feel like your faith doesn't even matter. And for some of you in college, you feel like if you're trying to take a moral stand and trying to understand your biblical values and you want to live them out on a regular basis, you feel like you're swimming upstream. And I got to believe for every once in a while in a context like this, that there are a couple of you in the room who feel like Satan himself is after you. So if you've been in a context where you feel like you're trying to live out your values and nobody gets it, or they're putting you down on a regular basis, you're trying to do that at work and no one seems to understand where you are, you really do want to live your faith. You feel like it's such an incredible challenge that you'll never know every once in a while if you're going to make it to the end. And for a few of you in the room, you feel like Satan himself has your number. And he's calling it pretty much every day. If any of that connects with you in any way, then you're going to understand Nehemiah was there. We're in Nehemiah chapter 4 this morning. His story is one that we have been talking about over the last few weeks. He's a story or an epitome of the story of the history of the Israelites. God said to them, I want to bless you. I really do. I love you. You're a chosen people. I want to bless you. I want, as a matter of fact, you to bless other nations. So when they see what I've done in you, they'll know there is a God in heaven who really does love you and will always be there and will be your supporter and your strength. And so I want you to live that out so that other nations are pointing to me or seeing me because they see it in you. So if you follow me, I'll bless you. If you don't, I need you to know there are consequences for that. Now, he's been saying that for the last 6,000 years. To all of us who are followers of Christ, or the church of Jesus Christ, 
And God did bless them in phenomenal ways. And when they were disobedient, walked away from God, they faced the consequences of that. And many times they found themselves in bondage or captivity. When Nehemiah heard about that in chapter 1, he fell down on his face before Almighty God. He loved his people. He loved his nation. And the very first response out of his heart and mind was to seek God's face for that nation, for the nation of Israel. I hope when you look around to see where we are as a nation, the United States of America, there are times in your heart where you couldn't be more proud of who we are and what we become and what God's done. And every time you see a, a serviceman or a servicewoman who has laid down their all or is willing to lay down their all for the freedom that you and I enjoy, you are really understandably blessed by who we are in the United States of America. But they also have to believe that every once in a while you're extremely disappointed and disillusioned. And I hope that it doesn't just cause you to point fingers or snub or do any of the things that sometimes the world does when they look at people who are failed or have failed. But I hope it brings you to your knees before Almighty God. I love the United States of America. I couldn't be prouder every time I travel anywhere to lay that passport down, whether I'm coming or going or leaving or coming back, and to say I'm a citizen of the United States of America. But there are times that I also... I'm saddened, and i got to believe you are as well. And that it pains you to see what this nation has done, or in some cases what it's becoming, or so many of the decisions that it's making. If any of that resonates with you, then you feel some of Nehemiah's pain. He loves the nation of Israel. He can't believe what's happened to it. And when he found out, he said, I've got to do something. So he finds himself in chapter 1 on his face before Almighty God. He asks for a leave of absence. He does his job really well, as we shared last Sunday morning. He led up so wonderfully well that he went out, was not only given permission to leave, but also the resources necessary to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the kingdom. I said to you last Sunday morning that leadership is not just about being in the driver's seat. So often we think, well, I can't do anything else if I'm not leading, if I'm not directing, if not in the driver's seat. Leadership isn't about what seat you're in. It's about leadership, doing whatever it is that God has called you to do at whatever level he has placed you to do your best with excellence and joy and enthusiasm for the organization or the company you work for. Not about being in the driver's seat. It's about doing the best you possibly can to the position God's assigned you. By chapter 4, Nehemiah returns to Jerusalem doing what he believed God's asked him to do to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And when he does, he's going to face opposition from every possible angle. Going to be laughed at and ridiculed. And when that doesn't work, his enemy's going to try discouragement and division. Nehemiah chapter 4, I'm just going to use the first few verses as a foundation for it. So you're there, Nehemiah chapter 4. Every Saturday, a phone tree goes out if you're not on it. Please call the office and say, I'd love to get the phone tree on my cell phone or my home phone so you know where we're at, you know what we're doing. You can use the scripture as well to prepare you for that as well as maybe even read ahead so you can see where we're going. Chapter 4, first few verses. When Sambalat, he's the governor of Samaria. If you understand anything about Jewish-Samaritan relationships, they're not always good. A lot of tension that goes with that all the way through into the New Testament as well. When he heard that we were rebuilding the wall... He became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? 
Will they really restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring these stones back to life from heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Even a fox climbing on it would break the walls down or break down the walls of stone. When you're trying to live out your faith and values, there'll be those who laugh at you and mock you. They'll say things to you like, seriously? I mean, what do you mean you don't drink? What, what do you mean you don't get drunk? Seriously, what do you mean you want to stay pure to marriage? Who does that? You want to stay pure to marriage? Nobody does that. Why not just live together? Then figure out whether or not you want to stay together the rest of your life. That doesn't work out. It doesn't matter. Come on. Everybody lies a little. I mean, not that big a deal. It's not like you're telling grand lies. Everybody lies a little bit. Everybody takes that stuff home. Everybody does it. Okay, seriously, God created this world in six days. You got to be kidding. Who would believe that? Who would believe that God created the world? Haven't you been in school? Don't you understand what they're saying? And when that doesn't work, our enemy Satan will use discouragement. Come on, let me, let me be really honest with you. You're never going to win them over. That guy, you can witness all you want. He's never going to come to church. That gal, you can invite her till Jesus comes back. She's not going to come. Come on, you can't stay consistent in your faith. You can't stay consistent in your walk. You fail all the time. Yeah, I decided to follow Jesus. You said that. Man, I saw you baptized. And the very first time you were tempted in an area that you thought you were free from, you fell. You gave in. You looked at that. You said that. You watched that. And you seriously think you're going to be what they are? Come on, you haven't been in church in six weeks and no one ever noticed. You really think they care about you that much? Any of you heard any of those in your head? And maybe out loud. I mean, I could give you a list that is absolutely endless. Satan's lies go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. In the Garden of Eden, as he whispered into Eve's ears, Hey, hey, hey. Do you really think that's what God meant? Do you really think that's what he meant? You're going to die? Come on, you're not going to die from eating the fruit. God's holding out on you. That's why he doesn't want you to do it. He's not out for your best interest. He's holding out on you. And lies like those and more like them have been going on ever since. God's word, your sermon notes, and his authority have been the subject of Satan's lies and discouragement for centuries. And just like Nehemiah, if doubt, ridicule, and discouragement doesn't work, he'll use intimidation and fear. Jesus tells us that Satan is a liar and a murderer. Peter tells us that he's a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Your decision for Jesus Christ, your decision to follow Christ as your Lord and Savior, to give your life to him, is the absolute best decision in your life that you'll ever make. Your decision for a mate, how many children to have, where you're going to live, what you'll do for a living, whether you'll go to church are all great decisions. But your decision to put your faith in Jesus Christ is the absolute most important decision in life that you'll ever make. For one thing, it will drive and guide all the other decisions. 
and it will give you peace right in the middle of the storm. But most importantly, it will seal your eternal destiny. You will know beyond the shadow of a doubt that the moment you gave your life to Christ, not just signed a card or said a word or raised a hand, but I really honestly opened my life up for Christ, to Christ, gave him the control of my life, and let him come in and run my life from this point on. It's the best decision you'll ever make in all of life. It'll guide every other decision in your life. He'll walk with you through the storms of life. He will always be with you. And you will know beyond the shadow of a doubt, the moment you leave this world, whenever it is, you'll see Jesus face to face. But I also want to be honest with you as Jesus was. When you make that decision, you will face doubters, scoffers, ridiculers, and discouragers. All out to test your stand for Christ or at least try to get you to back off or at least quiet down a little bit about your faith. And I also want to tell you this truth. It can be a dangerous and difficult decision because for some who make it, it could cost them their lives. Jesus told everyone who listened to his sermons and everyone who decided to follow him, I just need you to know this decision could cost you everything. So some would obviously say, then why make it? Because it's the only way to get through this life, and it's the only way to guarantee your eternal life. Believe me, in all my years of ministry, I've seen so many people try to face death and difficulty without Christ, and it's impossible. I've walked into funeral homes. I've walked into the hospital. I've watched people go through death and darkness without Jesus Christ, and there's such a sad hollowness and emptiness in their face. It's unreal. Christ will walk with you always through every circumstance and every situation. It is the most important decision you'll ever make in life. But for some, it could cost everything. And Jesus said, I want you to understand that. You're going to face ridicule. You're going to face doubt. You're going to face an enemy who's out to destroy you. And he said, I want to be really honest with you about that. That's why I want you to be so strong. You know, the most difficult person to answer the question posed to them by the murderer in Oregon, the question, are you a Christian, was the second one who answered that question, knowing what it cost the first one to say, I am. Obviously, an unbelievable decision for the first person. But the second one who heard the question and knew what it would cost them to say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. That was probably harder than the first one. Jesus said, I just need you to know it is the best decision you'll ever make in all of life and eternity. But I want to be really honest with you. You're going to face some obstacles, trials, and persecution, and I want you to be ready for it. When all of Satan's schemes fail to work, doubt, discouragement, intimidation, and fear, you'll see in Nehemiah's case in chapter 5, he's going to try division. He literally tries to divide the nation of Israel, pitting them against one another. He tries it with families. He tries it with churches. When we moved into this facility, I heard all kinds of things about who we wanted to be or the kind of church we wanted to be or the things that were not anymore. All in an effort to point fingers or to get us to try to move away from our ultimate goal of reaching people for Christ. And it wears you down and sometimes wears you out. One of the tensions that I live with on a regular basis, this is honest, honest, don't tell anybody, but this is honest, honest, just me and you. An odd day to share this, obviously. That one of the tensions that I live with on a regular basis, pretty much every week, is that I let someone down. At least at one point or the other. 
I do my best to meet everyone's need, but at some point or the other, I let them down or disappoint them. I didn't shake their hand, didn't visit them in the hospital, didn't know they were sick, didn't go to their event, didn't sing their music, didn't push their event, couldn't marry their children, wasn't in the kind of series they wanted, didn't notice that they hadn't been in church for a while. Just the list is endless. And, 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 and I love what I'm doing. I'm not going to change anything about that. But it is one of the things that I deal with on a regular basis. And when I remember Jesus saying, I just need you to know, if you come to faith in Christ, the world's not going to like you. I was naive enough to think he meant the world, outside the church. But sadly enough, most pastors end up leaving ministry not because the world's against them, because people in the church have destroyed them in some way or the other. Only 25, let me say this correctly, only 25% of those who start ministry end up completing their career still in ministry. In other words, 75% of those who started as a pastor didn't finish. And one of the top three reasons of that is internal conflict within the context of a church. And Nehemiah is facing that on a number of levels. He, he wants to do his absolute best to lead the people of Israel. And he finds himself in a situation where even inside the family that he's trying to lead, they're pitted against one another. It happens in churches. It happens personally. You may be a mom who wants to do the absolute number one thing in your life outside of your relationship with God and your relationship with your spouse. The number three priority of your life is raising godly children. But trust me, someone's going to try to get you discouraged and distracted from that incredible mission, making you feel less important if you're not out there pursuing a career. You could be a great youth worker, an incredible children's worker, play in the band, use your gifts for the glory of God within the context of the church, but someone really wants you to be president of the society for the fight against athletes' feet. And you say, well, I just don't know if I have time to serve God and do that important task. Now, obviously, I'm being facetious, but you know as well as I do. Our time is limited, our time is valuable, and there become all kinds of things that others will ask you to do beyond serving God. Hundreds of opportunities outside the context of the church. I'm not even talking about serving inside and outside. I'm just saying there'll be constant pressure to do all kinds of other things than serving God. Nehemiah is going to face it on a regular basis. In this context here, not only things from the outside and the people around him, food shortage, Others having to buy grain, they go deep in debt. They're all in your sermon notes this morning. They're being taken advantage of to repay the creditors. They had to sell their children into slavery. It will always affect the family. Nehemiah is facing enemies on the outside and conflict on the inside. What I love about him is that in the middle of all of that, an enemy is after him and shouts in his ear all the time about what he's trying to do. And all of this internal conflict, what I love about him is that he responds and doesn't react. You know as well as I do, and I'm going to ask you at the end of the sermon this morning, you know as well as I do, you're going to be in situations all the time where, man, your buttons are pushed. Whether it's the enemy, whether it's people you trust, whether it's someone around you, people at work, people at school, wherever that may be. And one of the lessons that I love about him is that he responds and doesn't react. So much is told about us and our character, and believe me, I'm one of the ones that have to learn this the most, but so much is told about us and our character is how we react or respond to situations where the pressure is put on. It's not when you're going through life and everything is okay. It's when that person slams up against you, bumps up against you, smashes you, runs at you, says something about you. The list is endless. And I love the fact that he doesn't ignore it. You'll see that in this context here. 
It doesn't make him quit. He responds to the issue with honesty in a practical way. And he talks to them very honestly in verse five, or chapter 5. When I heard their outcry and their charges, I was angry, verse 7. I pondered my mind, and then I brought them together. I said, as far as possible, we brought you back, our fellow Jews who were sold out to the Gentiles. Now you're selling your own people, only to have them sold back to us. They kept quiet because they knew he was right. They knew he, they could find nothing to say. So I continued, what you're doing isn't right. Shouldn't your walk, or shouldn't you walk in the fear of our Lord to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I have in my notes this statement. In that verse, verse 9, do you realize what he's saying? He's saying this. I just need you to know God's reputation is at stake for how you respond and how you treat one another. Now, God's okay. God's in heaven, and he's okay. And he doesn't rise and fall based on us. But I love how he points out, look, we've declared that we're followers of the living God. And we're trying to be the conduit so that others see that God is really the God to follow. And now God's reputation is at stake in a sense by the fact that you're claiming one thing and living another thing. And when they realize that, I and my brothers we're, give back to them immediately. And then verse 12, or, yeah, verse 12 of chapter 5, we understand. We'll give it back. We won't demand from them anymore. We'll do what you say. Nehemiah's response in your sermon was this morning. Stand firm in your convictions. But maybe the preparatory statement before that is make sure you have some. Make sure you're really clear on what is right and what is wrong and what lines I will not cross no matter how much pressure. Outside, inside, Satan himself, there are lines that I won't cross no matter how much pressure. Stand firm in your convictions, which is exactly what he does. Don't give in to discouragement. I know that's easier to say than to do. Believe me. Every time I sit in my office and I give counsel to someone in all these years, there are times that I sit across the desk and I say, look, I know what I'm telling you to do is easy for me on this side of the desk, but I'm telling you the truth and I'm telling you what you need to do. Don't give in. Don't give up. Stay solid in your faith. Don't buy the lies of the enemy. Could be probably the most powerful, profound statement in these notes. Do not buy the lies of the enemy. He'll tell you you're not going to make it. You're worthless. You're invaluable. You're not living up to expectations. The list is absolutely endless. Do not buy the lies. He'll speak into your own. It doesn't matter. No one will see. Cross the line. Who cares? It's only a little. It's only whatever. Do not buy the lies of the enemy. Resist him, obviously, is in James 4, 7. Resist the enemy. He's coming after you. Fight for what you know is right. Is one of the statements you have to see out of Nehemiah's case. He knew the right thing to do, and he was willing to stake everything on doing the right thing. Use the weapons that God's made available to you. Praise, prayer, praise, the word of God, friends, relationships. Don't ever try to face it alone. One of the reasons we love doing what we're doing on uh, Thanksgiving weekend, man, we're just going to sing and celebrate for a variety of reasons. Satan hates praise. He hates adoration. He hates us acknowledging that we really do understand that the God of the universe is in control. So give him praise. Sing with everything you've got. Even if you don't know the words and you can't sing a lick, just give it all you've got to be able to give God's praise because I'm telling you, the enemy hates that. 
leave vengeance and retaliation in the hands of God and see God's face at every turn. One of the things I love about Nehemiah, hundreds of things, he's a guy with a sword in one hand, a Bible in the other, and, and I, I love those kinds of guys like Joshua and all of that. But at every turn, at every situation, at every obstacle, he seeks the face of God. And so this morning, I want you to. All across this room are people that normally fit into one of a few categories. There are some of you in this room this morning who feel like you're being hammered. Every day at work, at school, you just feel like you're being hammered. Trying to live your values, trying to live your faith, and nobody gets it, and they're just after you constantly. There's some of you in the room, maybe only one or two, but a few of you in the room, who feel like the people closest to you are the ones that are hurting you the most. I'm not talking your spouse or necessarily your kids, but the people closest to you, that at least in the midst of all the battles, I knew I could count on them, and, and then this happens. I kind of believe that there are a couple of you in the room who feel like Satan himself is out to get you and destroy you. So I'd love for you to do what every pastor at the end of almost every sermon does, but be really honest about that, and that is to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'd love to ask you this morning, which one of those three you may be in? There are others, and I get that. But if you're one of those this morning who just feel like, man, every single day at school or at work, the challenges hammering me and getting at me, and, and I, just, I just need some prayer. Would you raise your hands? Okay. Thank you. This is where I need you to be sensitive. But for a few of you in the room, if you feel like the people closest to you, the ones that you always thought you could count on are giving you the most problems. Would you raise your hand so I can pray for you? Okay, thank you. And for a couple of you in the room, maybe more than that, but man, you feel like Satan himself has your number. And he's working way overtime. Would you raise your hand so I can pray for you? Father, they're all over this room. They want to live their faith, want to live their values. They're facing an enormous amount of pressure. We thank you for godly examples like Nehemiah, who really lives it well. He's doing his absolute best in the middle of all the tension from outside and inside to live out his faith. God, in the name of Jesus, strengthen, guide, direct. You will always be with us, as we saw at the very opening clip. So give them wisdom. For the ones who are so disillusioned by it, coming from the people that they're the closest to, it's breaking their heart. And I pray, oh God, in the name of Jesus, that you will surround them with your grace and that you will lift them up. For those this morning who feel like the enemy himself, in a variety of forms, is coming after them hard. Father, in the name of Jesus and by the power of the cross and the blood of the Calvary, I 
trust that you will so lift them up this morning. Be the lifter of their head, keep their eyes on you. And may now in these solemn, quiet moments, you hear their voice, their prayer, and their cry as they give it to you.